should get into it because we've got a fantastic conversation today about demystifying geospatial data. Um, so officially, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Kelly Garrido and I head up marketing and events here at Great Data Minds. Um, GDM is a collective of passionate data activists and we are on a mission to modernize the world of data. Uh, we do this in a couple different ways. The first is that we offer a full range of services around strategic planning, education, and the deployment of critical data projects. Uh, and then the second is that we hold a lot of events and we create content pieces just like this one today um, that really um, kick up this great conversation that we're trying to start around the modern world of data. Um, so some housekeeping before we get going, as you guys can see, this is a webinar, so your cameras and your microphone off, and that's actually a really good thing because there's quite a few of you that are joining us today. Um, but we do encourage participation. We would love to see uh, people chiming in on the chat. I'm already seeing that happen. That's great. This is where you can add your questions um, if you have them. I realize there's a Q&A, but if you put it into the chat, then everybody gets to see it. And we've definitely seen in the past some people um, answering each other's questions, but also add in your perspectives. Um, we'll save some time at the end of the session to really go through more of a formal Q&A period. Uh, so please feel free to make use of that chat, like we said. So in introductions to our esteemed panelists today, uh, we have Matt Kruzmark is joining us. Matt has two decades of real life in the trenches, data wrangling and analytics experience. And in 2016, he started K-Spatial, which is a collaboration of experts that like to build outside of the box solutions for their clients. Um, he's led data focused projects that encompass data analytics, AWS, cloud data infrastructure, product development, database and visualization solutions. And of course, what we're gonna talk about today is geospatial. Um, and then his side hustle, which I think is fascinating, is uh, over the last decade, he's been teaching online courses in database technology and technical management at the University of Colorado. So you there you go. Educated from the top down. So I appreciate that. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, uh, we have Brian Timoney. Um, Brian is the, and I've been approved to say this, might I mentioned the OG, the original spatial <laughs> data in the house with us today. He has 20 years of deep experience in a variety of industries, energy, defense, telco, state, and local government. And during this time, he's like kind of identified some guiding principles that he really works from every day. The first is that an organization's most valuable data is their internal data. The second is that geospatial analysis and visualization tools are often already exist in an organization and they're definitely going unutilized. And the third is that third-party data, much of which is now free and open, has grown enormously in both quantity and accessibility. And people need to know he's going to drop all these knowledge bombs on us today. Thank you for joining us, Brian. <laughs> You're quite welcome. And that pretty much covers everything I was going to talk about. <laughs> so I think we're done, right? <laughs> go to Starbucks and check out here. <laughs> So another OG on the line that everybody knows if you've joined us before is Mr. Mike Lampa, just closed on his house today. So he's having mm -hmm. a quite a busy day. Um, Mike yes. is our chief analytics officer here at Great Data Minds, and he has built an amazing career um, working enter enterprises towards modernization in their analytics program, um, their programs. And so Mike also has over two, two decades of experience I changed that, Mike. Remember last time you said I Ah, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so I rolled it back from 23. Now I just say two decades plus. Um, as an executive analytics practitioner, and of course, he's got experience on both sides of the desk. 
as a consultant and also as an employee in Global 100 Enterprises. So wow, that was a long intro, but we are so thankful to have everybody here with us today. Um, and Mike, I'll hand the floor to you. Thank you, Kalia. And I'll tell you what, one of the thrill, most thrilling parts of my job is working with brilliant minds like yourself and Matt and Brian. Gentlemen, welcome. Yeah. And thank you, Kalia, for that intro. So let's get started on this, you know, demystifying geospatial. So um, it just kind of opened it up. It, it, it seems, Matt, to me, that over the last several years, there's become a, like a more or a growing awareness around the use of maps as part of our common visualization and communication tool. Can, can you expand on that a little bit? What, what's bringing that about? Yeah, thanks, Mike. I mean, I think, you know, it's been really interesting to see, you know, whether it's through an election cycle. Um, my, my company's done work in the education space. But if you, if you would ask me five years ago before I started my company, would we be doing mapping in the education space? I would have said probably, probably not. Mm. But I, I think there's a lot of, of location data opportunity out there that's really been commoditized into a lot of platforms. And one of the things that I've been really passionate about in my business over the last five years is really trying to bridge the gap between the geospatial world and the analytics world. Mm -hmm. um, and so the clients that I typically and, and my colleagues were typically working with are basically small data teams that don't even really realize that location is something that's already really baked into a lot of their information that they have in-house. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, there's all this other um, information outside of their organization. And when you blend those things together, um, you know, it, it's, it's really a game changer. And so that's, that's really one of the things that I've been passionate about and kind of, kind of where I've directed uh, my small business over the last five years. Mm -hmm. And, and it appears that a lot of the visualization tools have some pretty well-conceived embedded mapping capabilities where I could drop data points onto a map. Um, but why aren't we using more of it? I'm, I just don't understand. Yeah, maybe I'll kick it over to Brian so he can respond to this one as well. Mm -hmm. Well, seeing that we're on a webinar, I guess the, the, the backdrop is, you know, we've all been in, the, in COVID kind of lockdown mode and you know for better or for worse that has been a huge boon to the awareness of kind of map driven dashboards mm -hmm. and what you're seeing now as as we're in the more advanced stages of trying to look at things like immunization rates um, and looking at the geographical spread and now of course with especially here in Colorado healthcare provisioning you know, the supply of that is not unlimited, right? Mm -hmm. So the I, we're seeing statistics being mapped now, such as ICU beds available, et cetera, et cetera. And so the idea of, it's one thing just to put, you know, as, as kind of that first step of dots on the map, it's another thing to start looking at different variables and seeing how they vary spatially. So mm -hmm. the idea of, your immunization rates are gonna vary, you know, county by county, even census tract by census tract in some instances. And then your, your ability to, to uh, provide care to those communities and people from uh, less resourced communities, that conversation can all get advanced when you have these multiple layers and variables coming together visually 
on, mm -hmm. on a map and a geography that people are already familiar with. So for better or for worse, COVID has been a boon to the map-driven visualization approach. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, we need to open up our eyes and see the art of the possible. Take the, that as a, a classic use case and start thinking about what we can do internally with, with uh, our operational data in the same format, you know, means, if you will. So speaking of that, yeah, a company's internal data, marginally valuable, most valuable, what's, what's your guys' sense? Yeah, I can start off with this one too, Mike. Um, I would definitely say like most valuable and and often, you know, really underutilized. And that's just generally because of the, you know, potentially the speed bumps and the roadblocks that that people come up against in the more kind of traditional IT world, as far as like databases and things like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of IT DBAs and things like that, myself included many, many years ago, weren't even fully aware of all the spatial aspects that might be already baked into their database platform uh, of choice within their organization. Um, in addition to that, on the other end of it, on the analyst, data science, um, even the geospatial world, those conversations um, between siloed you know, places of excellence within an organization can be really awkward conversations to have and, ha and, and begin to have that understanding um, between each other, how you could work as a team to kind of let, you know, further leverage that location data. Mm -hmm. Right, because by definition, if data is valuable, now you're lending itself to kind of internal dynamics of how information flows within companies, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the idea of how information is, you know, who are the caretakers and how it's distributed um, internally. And, you know, what, what Matt and I see on a day in day out basis is, you know, on one hand you have, you know, the, the, the data world you read about online. Uh, we're doing, you know, machine learning, we're doing AI, we're doing data science, et cetera, et cetera. And then so many organizations are still you know, those basic building blocks of reporting, right? Just kind of the basic summarizing of the information they have on hand is still a challenge in many respects. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of so much of the bleeding edge conversation is five steps ahead of where a lot of organizations are at. So mm -hmm. that's always something to keep in mind because it, it's, it's, it's talking two different languages and and trying to get those basic next steps mm -hmm. like you know like like matt talked about some of those dashboard tools that have come into the mainstream workplaces in the past two or three years like power bi from microsoft or tableau you know they come with you know somewhat somewhat usable a good starting place in terms of geographic data and visualization. And mm. um, even Excel in the past couple of versions, people were doing some, some uh, aggressive mapping in, in Excel, which, you know, you go on YouTube and as a GIS guy, it's like amazing what people will do when they have a tool they're already familiar with. Yeah. So that, that's, that's kind of the opposite end of the awareness is now you have new tools that you're probably already paying for in-house that can get you those first few steps down the road. Yeah. 
you gotta love Excel, right? You're never gonna tear that out of my hands. <laughs> the people who love Excel, there's not many things they love more than Excel. I'll That's right. That way. <laughs> I, I like that you just called it aggressive Excel. Like um, that's what it feels like on the other side. Of the <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that you know, the the relational databases have some you know built-in capabilities around um, you know geospatial. What about the cloud platforms and the cloud databases offered by uh, AWS and uh, Azure and GCP? or even um, you know, some of the third-party cloud data warehouses that are running uh, such as Snowflake. What do they, do they have anything? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a great point, Mike. Um, you know, I've spent the last, I guess, almost eight years of my life um, on AWS. And it, it's remarkable, even the, um, the cloud-ready tools in AWS. And when you dig into them and you often find that as those tools progress, even upon release often, um, are already baking in location aspects to them. And that cloud data warehouse model um, or even the database model itself, again, mm -hmm. often really underutilized and, and often un, um, maybe even misunderstood by, by folks that are, that are working with it just because mm -hmm. they, again, had that, that kind of cross collaboration with somebody that's either geocurious, as Brian said in, the, in his... Uh, his LinkedIn post before the before the the get together today, or um, you know just hasn't had that team kind of blending that's necessary to be able to bring that that data to that level of awareness in the warehouse. When oftentimes it can just be a couple of columns uh, to be able to enact or extract from some kind of again siloed GIS base map to get into the big data world, the data science world, and allow those mm -hmm. people to be able to access that information. So yeah. yeah, yeah interesting trends there yeah um yeah yeah so the likes of what redshift um azure synapse probably um big query big table they all have some capabilities and libraries and functions available absolutely and a lot of times they're already wrapping themselves around an existing library that came from a very large and significant geospatial vendor out software vendor out there mm -hmm. interesting <laughs> Mike, let me just hop in here in, in, in to Brent. <laughs> yeah, loop back to what we said before about you know where where different organizations are at in their kind of IT trajectory. And mm -hmm. you know, Matt's been burying the lead in his quote side hustle, which is teaching, which is you know, as side hustles go, and that's not the, the rich scheme I would have chosen, but you know, Matt's a good guy. Um he teaches a course in spatial SQL, right? So SQL is, is the bedrock of, data, of traditional data analysis, especially in a relational database uh, environment that we all know and love. And the idea that, you know, SQL Server, Oracle, out of the box come with a, a fairly robust, robust set of spatial functions that can be used, but your typical data analyst SQL jockey without a geospatial background very rarely goes down that road. And mm -hmm. I can just speak to a re recent engagement I had in, um, in the energy industry where the, the GIS folks were using their desk desktop programs to connect to the 
enterprise oracle system. The enterprise oracle folks were doing SQL, but not nothing spatial. And then I saw the use case for actually harnessing that additional Oracle capability to have an efficient set of SQL commands to carry out functions that were kind of neither fish nor fowl, not mm -hmm. traditionally a GIS function, but not traditionally a straight data analyst function. Mm -hmm. So the idea is it's all about realizing some of these capabilities that have been latent in, in many organizations that have been part of their data infrastructure for, you know, for decades in a lot of cases. And the, the idea is you got, you and Matt talked about the cloud infrastructure, which is where so many migration projects are going to, that opportunity is coming up again in those, in those uh, environments as well. Mm -hmm. and, and so the great thing about it is the, from a kind of traditional GIS perspective, some of these environments might not have all the bells and whistles you need, but there is a small core of functionality that is present everywhere that gets you well down the road of, of, of becoming more location savvy, if you will. Yeah. So, so kind of tying it back together, there, there are probably pockets of geography objects or location objects within our operational data that we can start to take advantage of leveraging these libraries. And you know, to me, that's a little bit eye-opening. Um, I, I don't know if it is for some of the folks I'm, I'm listening in on us, but it sounds too good to be true. So what are the gotchas here? <laughs> Matt, I'll let you start because my list is pretty long. I would take that one first. Yeah, I mean, I think generally, like for, for me at least, I'd start with something that I've had a conversation with Brian even over the last 24 hours is, you know, some of the gotchas sometimes are, you know, ch chasing that silver bullet application that you search for on the internet you, that you think is going to solve all your problems. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's very tempting for all of us. We do our own research. You know, we have the internet, we have you know, a plethora of products out there as, as Mike aptly described today that are baking in lo location in, into them. Um, so, so to me, that's a big gotcha. A big gotcha right away is to just, hey, let's, let's just kind of look inward at ourselves. Let's not, you know, I'll shoot myself in the foot here. Let's not call Brian and Matt right away. Let's really look internally and see what we have invested in already and let's further our return on investment on the, the program that we've already started building out because more than likely, you know, if you look and you, you know, hey, we're standardized, st we've already standardized on Power BI. We're standardizing on a software platform per se versus a solution or a solution set. Well, let's, let's look at that and let's see, see where we're at and let's see what we can, what we can um, you know, squeeze out of that lemon to start with. It starts to make yeah. sense. Well, I'll, I'll be more blunt than that. And this, this is a little <laughs> bit on the confession side, since we, we very much come from the geospatial world. So as GIS people, our immediate inclination is to make things as complex and as uh, bewildering as possible to outsiders, right? So you can't talk about anything data related without talking about the internal data silos that exist anywhere, right? In, in any organization. And for those organizations that have already had traditional GIS, even within many of those organizations, 
the GIS department, you know, our joke is, you know, down the hall to the left, right next to the plotter, right? Because those are the map people. Um, and then the, the data analysts and then now the data science teams exist in some other realm. So the idea is there are so many, there, were, there have been so many cultural roadblocks to any kind of holistic approach to like data and fully utilizing the geographic aspect from a strategic sense. And again, as GIS guys, you know, we're guilty because, you know, we love going down the rabbit hole of map projections and, you know, 10 minutes on the shape of the globe and the geoid. And, you know, the, the project managers like eyes are glazed over. I'm checking out because you're, we, we have this inclination to bring all our wonderful complexity to the table from the get go. And so the, there's there's this historical legacy of making things as complicated as possible when trying to do any kind of integration project between data departments that were set up years ago. Mm. All right, so I'm here and there may be a perceived barrier to entry to start doing some more uh, location-based analytics and visualizations. Um, and that perceived barrier is that I don't have this well-cooked, well-curated um, GIS perfect perfection, but I do have a bunch of capabilities inside databases that I already have licenses for or subscriptions to. I don't have to go out and buy stuff, not necessarily. That's one thing. The second is don't, don't let perfection be the enemy of good, right? We could be doing a lot of good stuff, even though we're not doing the very deep GIS oriented stuff. Right? Third thing I think I heard was there's another barrier to entry and it's just overcoming some of these, these cultural silos, if you will, because there is a real opportunity, I think, to democratize location-based analysis. Yes. Did I get it right? Yeah. Do yeah. I pass the test? <laughs> Yeah, and I think um, uh, a colleague of mine uh, about a week ago um, said something like this, that, that within a lot of organizations, we end up with these sort of silos of, of excellence, let's call them, right? And mm -hmm. it's not silos aren't effective in their own uh, sort of view shed towards the business or the organization's business, but it, it makes it very difficult to be able to, to integrate across those, those silos of excellence. And for geospatial, as, as kind of riffing off of what Brian was saying, you know, one of the things that we need to we need to do better, and one of the things I've been passionate about in my own work in my own small business over the last five years is really trying to understand and listen to, you know, what are analysts and data science teams like? What are they looking for from us location data experts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there, and there can be a big difference between the, the view of what a GIS program is, which, which I've been involved with off and on in my 20 plus years as well, versus like the aspects of what geospatial data really is and how it's available to us uh, today uh, versus even what it was a few, few years ago is, is just remarkably, remarkably different. Mm -hmm. And our data analyst and data science um, and BI type colleagues out there, they totally get that they they see it it's again being baked into their tools over time they've seen a significant amount of growth of geographic aspects 
of location data within their tools and how to access them both from the inside of their organization and from the outside. And I think that's just something that us geospatial people can continue to, to, to help grow when it gets a colleague and friend of mine who's a Tableau expert said to me on a project, he said, Matt, it's just getting too mappy right now, you know? So when it gets to... <laughs> Um, when it gets too mappy, like definitely let's hang out and let's figure this out together because maybe there are some ways that we can, we can bridge these gaps together as geospatial experts um, along, alongside of our uh, data analysts, data science and BI type colleagues, right? Mm -hmm. Right, Mike, let me just jump in real quick and, and kind of add to that, especially from like the management, the management perspective, the management layer. Because again, too often in the past, the conversation has immediately gone to tools, specialized expertise. We're going to need, you know, these licenses to even like think about creating a simple map of where our locations are, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, from the management perspective, you really have to abstract away and say, what understanding of our data do we need? that has a geographical component that would immediately be valuable, to, especially to the internal consumers of that information. Mm -hmm. And let's figure out that the answer to that question before we dive into the minutia of tooling licenses and the how, right? Because mm -hmm. the how has always been pulling the cart of any discussion for so long. And if you get nothing else out of this conversation is the, the beginning steps to figuring out the how, the entry points have become a lot more user-friendly in the past couple of years. But from a management perspective, I can't emphasize enough, these are the strategic end goals and they don't have to be super ambitious, but they can be those building blocks, mm -hmm. attainable building blocks that kind of get the internal momentum going of trying to think about the the aspect of location in a much more holistic manner vis-a-vis mm -hmm. your data. Yeah, so when you kind of st start to drive out the, the use cases that you can iterate on and iterate quickly. Um, it also seems like um, we have to be pragmatic, maybe even prudent on the level of granularity that we really need on our location data. You know, do I need do I need to go beyond a zip plus four, for example, um, and get down to lat long? Uh, uh, Mike, I have to interrupt you right now because this is great data mines. Yes. Do not use zip plus four. That does not represent a geography. You will, <laughs> you will enter a world of hurt um, going down that path. And again, so I, you know, that we just gave out $10,000 of quality consulting right there. There you go. You're right there. Plus four. You can choose census blocks or census tracks. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what's on the menu today. All right. Census blocks and census tracks. See, even us old guys can learn something, Kalia. <laughs> that's why you're right. All right. So we got a feel for the gotchas, right? Um, you opened up our eyes to the value of our internal data and you know, really seek out what kind of location analysis we can be doing with the data we have available on the technologies we have available. Um, is there a way to enhance that internal data? Matt, I'll let you start where. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I think I see where you're going with that, Mike. I mean, I think uh, again, um, enhance meaning you, you want it to be more accurate, or you want more of it, or you're trying to build something with it. I mean, I think definitely there can be a temporal nature to data, um, location data. There can be um, you know precision aspects to it. Again, a lot of times, one of the other things I want to comment before too was that the, the client or the business doesn't necessarily need the geography and the location analytics to create more location analytics. They may just need the answer, right? Mm -hmm. It might be enough. It's not really about the map, but it's really about the answer that all that location can help, data can help drive and derive from mm -hmm. uh, for the map. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we constantly preach at Great Data Minds as you start to move into predictive analytics, we're, we're constantly encouraging everybody to start dipping their toe into that. Um, the One of our tenants is enhance your ability to do predictive analytics by matching up external data. Does that play out here too? Yeah, but I, I can jump in on that. And what, what you're seeing is A, your ability to bring in outside data in kind of a routine automated fashion is definitely uh, been enhanced by what we call like the API, you know, application programming interface, which is basically, you know, speaking the data language of making data requests. So the idea of we're going to wait for the census and send away for DVDs full of census information. And now we have an API URL call that we can send to the census and immediately populate our Excel spreadsheet, if you will, with the latest um, census data. And there's YouTube videos showing you how to do that. Is that um, right? But from a geographic standpoint, there are, especially here in the US, there are so many open data opportunities, especially from government organizations. And two of them that really jump out at me are the USGS has a land use land change uh, data project, if you will, that talks about not only how land use has changed, you know, for example, this, this field, you know, agricultural field is now paved over, right? So, mm -hmm. okay, maybe this is exurban, exurban development, et cetera, et cetera. And so they have, they have data representing how land use change in metropolitan areas has changed within the last 10 or 20 years. But just as interesting, they also have projections. So the idea is they project how different, all the different metro, uh, metro areas of the US are going to grow over the next 40 years. So if you're thinking about you know, locations and provisioning, opening new locations to serve areas that are bound to develop based on past sprawl patterns, if you will, mm -hmm. then these experts at the USGS have already done the heavy lifting, the analytical work to give you a head start to figure out how that might grow over the next, the coming decades. So that's one thing. And then um, there's a super interesting project out of NOAA about the, um, they have a, a record set of billion dollar insurance losses related to weather. And again, this isn't the time or place to debate the, um, you know, the philosophies of climate change, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea that huge dollar losses 
driven by weather are happening in particular places in the country. And NOAA has a data set wrapping all that very technical weather information with that financial piece. Mm -hmm. So the idea is there are these third parties, often government parties, that are doing really robust research work mm -hmm. and making that data fairly accessible for you to you know, bring into your own environment and give you a much richer way to think about um, how things might change in the near future with your own data sets and without having to stand up your own data science department to figure out these, you know, really gnarly problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it seems like the government data sets that are published and available to the, to the public, really, I mean, I guess it's our taxpayer dollar um, that's paying for it, but I don't have to buy that data from these government agencies, right? No, no, absolutely not. It, it's a, it's a, we were the beneficiaries of, of not only aggressive open data policies with the US government, but we're also seeing a similar policy in Europe with the European Space Agency. So, mm -hmm. you know, just for instance, I can go online now and download satellite radar with which I can easily assess how many ships are sitting, waiting to be unloaded at different ports around the world mm -hmm. because the, the, their satellite system revisits those ports every seven to 11 days. Mm -hmm. So the idea is it's not finding data, it's figuring out with all the data that's available to you how to strategically access the information that can add value to your particular internal use case. Gotcha, awesome, awesome. So. One other thought I have is that it's feeling to me like timing couldn't be better uh, for us to really open our eyes here and take, you know, take, take some action, start dipping our toes into leveraging location-based analysis with all of the other work that is going on in the analytics space. I mean, gosh, you know, research from Gartner and New Vantage, uh, 451 Research, McKinsey, they're all predicting tens of trillions of dollars of value to be derived out of effective analytics. And it sounds like the timing is perfect given you've made us all aware um, that there are the barriers to entry are mostly perceived and we can act upon things, right? So am I right? Is the timing here? Is the time to act right now? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. Again, I, I would I would first look inwards and see um, across your organization the tools and teams that you already have, um, you know, at your fingertips to be able to start to work with some of this information. And again, you might have to just cross those silos, mm -hmm. uh, begin those discussions, um, but they can really reveal a lot of insights just right from that that get go without a mm -hmm. huge amount of investment or investment that's already significantly been made. And, and I would just reiterate, going back to the, like the internal cultural thing, with mm -hmm. so many organizations trying to figure out how the cloud works in the, within their organization, there might be, there's data migration projects going on, and there's uh, utilizing maybe a hybrid approach, internal versus external storage of data. So I would just say any time there is a reevaluation of where data lives 
and who takes care of it. There's also the opportunity to broaden up, widen the conversation of we're just not moving this particular data set from you know, the internal server to somewhere in AWS or Google or you know, the Microsoft Azure. We're just not moving it. There's also an opportunity to open up that conversation of how are we best using it and can we utilize it in a, in a, in a, in a more productive fashion while we're ha having this discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Because if it's just business as usual, then it's really hard to, to get that conversation going without it becoming a turf conversation that, mm -hmm. that Matt alluded to earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, my sense too is as we're doing strategic, you know, we're laying out our analytic program and we're trying to align it to strategic initiatives of, of the enterprise or the organization, whether you're profit or not-for-profit, um, we need to kind of elevate and bring up top of mind a location discussion as part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, location discussion that doesn't get mired in the traditional, yeah. you know, categories of, of tooling and licenses mm -hmm. and, and, and the, the execution minutia. It's keeping yeah. that strategic goal, defining the strategic goal, and then working back from that. Perfect. Love it. Any final thoughts there, Matt? Yeah, and there's even... There's even opportunities to, to you know, it, it's okay. You don't have to break down all the silos, right? So we have those data transformation, those data ETL, those technologies, data pipelines, and so many uh, simple and lightweight ways that we can, we can work with that information that sometimes it, you know, again, you're not going to, you know, uproot your GIS desktop mapping, you know, program to do this, what you wanna do is you wanna look for and leverage the information with that team and extract the simplest forms of that location data that you need to get the answer to your problem. Perfect. Minimum viable product, friends. It's the lean agile way. <laughs> Even applies to geospatial, I love that. Um, gentlemen, it's totally enlightening for me to, to listen to the two of you. I, I see the sparks flying as you guys talk. It's awesome. Hey, Kaylee, do we have any questions that have been flowing in? I see a lot of chat, chatter. Yeah, we've, got, we've got a lot of chatter. Um, so yeah, we actually had a question come in from Robert and this was um, back up about mm, 10, 10, maybe 12 minutes ago. And he said, mm -hmm. I found is helpful for solving this, and I can't recall what the this is, but what the question is, uh, there are not many cost-effective solutions that can be done on the fly. I've heard Google has free solutions. Are you aware of this? And if you guys understand this, cool. And if not, Robert, can you just ping back in and um, draw my attention again to what part of the conversation this was? Yeah, I'm assuming that Robert, so Robert mentioned Alteryx, which is a great tool, great data blending, data mm -hmm. and a great low-code or no code way to get working with this information. And that's another important point that's, that, that Robert brings up with that tool is that um, as analysts, data scientists, like whatever, like if we have access to tools like that, that, that gets that information flowing, right? And there are of course, dozens of other solutions out there that, that may be beneficial in, in that respect. Um, let's see. Um, hey, I, I got one for you, Matt. 
Yeah. And again, I, what, me and Matt have no commercial relationship right. with AlterX, <laughs> but I learned the other day that the name itself, Alter YX, yep. YX refers to coordinate space. <laughs> so the idea is from its very inception, it had that idea that geospatial was going to be part of that integrated data environment. So if there's anyone, um, when Matt and I are in Denver and AlterX is up in Boulder, so if anyone can, you know, shuttle down a check for me and Matt's promotion of that tool, then, you know, I'll tell you where to drop it off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got one here too from uh, Oliver. Right. Um, Amazon RDS question, choosing between Postgres with PostGIS versus Aurora with uh, PostGIS. Um, is there a future lock-in or do benefits outweigh the risk? Hey, this is a GIS guy who knows that we're just, you know, we're addicts, right? Because this guy knows we want to go down the rabbit hole. And I will just say, for those who don't know, Postgres has emerged as, you know, one of the leading open source relational databases. And it has had a spatial uh, set of functions post-GIS for over 15 years. So it's the granddaddy of relational database, um, uh, geospatial awareness and savvy. Mm -hmm. And it's, its function capabilities are tremendous. And the idea is um, in, the, in the AWS environment, um, Aurora has a, has a flavor of Postgres that has, uh, has a certain uh, basic set of spatial functions. And then RDS has its own thing. Um, and again, it's all use case based because they both have that core set of basic functions. Like I have an address, tell me what, what area it falls in or how far is point A from point B. They have a lot of similar functions. And so Matt, I think it's, 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 it's much more about what else your AWS setup looks like and what you're accomplishing. Because mm -hmm. there's there's good, really technical reasons for going one way or another that are beyond the scope of this particular talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I but agree. we love post GIS, and there's post GIS day that's happening on Thursday, and it's an all day webinar event that you can find online. And if me and Matt aren't geeky enough for your taste for geospatial, you'll find the men and women who go way down the rabbit hole of spatial databases. So if you're, if you need entertainment on Thursday, that's what's happening. Yeah. Awesome. It's a great plug. And I agree with Brian hundred percent. I think, I think that the use case is very determinate. There's a core set of functions. And then as we go down the geospatial, spatial SQL rabbit hole, yes, you're going to, you're going to find some differences um, between the tooling there. Mm -hmm. If your cloud bill is your, you know, and you have the same set of functions in Aurora and you can meet that need and you can reduce your cloud bill, if that's, that's one of your top goals and priorities, then maybe that's the way to go. But it, it absolutely uh, has that annoying answer of it depends. Exactly. Yeah. And we're consultants. So we get to say that all the time. Yeah. However, we got to have the rubric of the things that it depends upon. Right. You know, to do ourselves business. Awesome. Um, Caleb, were there any other questions? Yeah. I was scrolling through. I didn't. Yep, I've got two. I've got two here. So I think I'm going to go to Charlotte first because she's asked a question in the Q&A. This is what she asks. 
Uh, thoughts on the changing role of entrepreneurship and VC in geospatial analytics ecosystems. What questions do commercialization and financial service applications versus public agency prediction models, et cetera? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take that one real quick. Uh, first answer, anything with a rocket attached is getting financed. So it's, it's now easier to send a micro satellite into space than it is to find a customer for the data that microsatellite will produce, right? So we're seeing, especially in terms of the, the, the satellite-based acquisition of, date, of data, we're, see, we're seeing this huge infusion of, of VC funding in terms of getting things into space, all premised upon if we build it, they will come. Because mm -hmm. right now, outside the the intelligence and defense sectors, there the, the 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 more private commercial sectors, consumers of that kind of data, that that growth hasn't been exponential or hockey stick or whatever your your um, favorite phrase is. On the more mundane level, um, you're seeing companies that specialized in particular types of data. Like for instance, we have what we call POI point of interest data, which is basically locations of stores and things like that, right? And the idea of, as we all know, just looking around our own neighborhoods, restaurants, stores, et cetera, opening, closing, opening, closing, and keeping those data sets up to date, there's startups that specialize in that particular type of really fundamental data, data requirement. And then I would just finally round out the answer that, you know, the, the International Climate Summit, anything that can be wrapped around, you know, big picture climate change is getting funded right now. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, obviously there's no set of slam dunk solutions on the table, just the understanding that a spatial understanding and getting up to date current data will be a big part of whatever initiatives are used to address, you know, those those very big fundamental changes. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Very good. Yeah, there's a lot uh, of advantage there for, for really for risk reduction right across so many industries, whether it's finance, yeah. insurance, um, et cetera, right? And and being able to operate and provide those services and track things over time, um, just as we've seen during the during the COVID era is the, the dynamic nature of business, whether it's brick and mortar, logistics. Um, you know, again, I got my, my uh, economic geographer next to me here. I mean, it, it, the, the applications of that, that risk reduction and, and, you know, automation and understanding of what's going on on the ground today versus what you're trying to do into the future is significant mm -hmm. location data. Yeah. yeah, and just to kind of put a bow on it, you know, our running joke 15 years ago when Google Maps started was every startup was solving the same problem of where's the nearest coffee shop. Uh -huh. And now it's like every startup is solving the problem of where's the nearest electric vehicle charging station, right? Mm -hmm. And and so the idea of these these fundamental principles remain the applications change over time, right? Mm -hmm. Very cool. 
We got time for one more question I'm taking care of. You. And we got it. It's from Dave Murray. He says, insidious vendors hide their data in tables that have opaque table names and field identifiers. Impossible hmm. to pull out without paying large sums to the vendor. How do we change this? Hmm. Wow. Wow. Obfuscation, obfuscation is somebody's profit margin, Dave. Come on. You know, we live in a capitalist society. What can I tell you? That's Matt, right. Can you have a nicer answer? Um, I didn't quite hear Callie right at the right at the end. What what was the right at the end of your question? I'm sorry, or Dave's question. He's um, looking to change that. So he's complaining, well, you know, kind of identifying that these vendors are hiding their data in tables that have opaque names or you can't you can't understand what they are. And it seems like it's impossible to pull out without paying large sums to that same vendor. And so how do we work on changing this as an industry? I see. So maybe possibly Dave's getting at if it's proprietary data or something like that, that you're purchasing as a data as a service kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Possibly. I mean, again, I think going back to Brian's previous point, I, I think we're, uh, we're seeing some pretty powerful location-based data as a service vendors out there. Um, certainly I've been tracking several of, of them very closely over the last you know, couple of years. Um, and many of them VC backed, uh, growing at quite the rapid clip um, and doing some really amazing things. And so I think they're trying to basically you know, uncover and help us with those insights. So there might be value there for your organization and that investment might be worth it. Mm -hmm. And then to down on what Brian was saying before though, about a lot of the government data services out there, public facing data services or open data environments that absolutely are doing everything that they can in most cases to not obfuscate the, the data, mm -hmm. make it very easy for us uh, folks, whether we're using low code tools, uh, almost no code, or if we can write a little bit of code, we can certainly work with those, those, those data sets. And, right. and I, I will leave with this, with this kind of uh, statement, Mike, mm -hmm. is data availability does not come with instant data expertise. And so even something like the, the U.S. Census of understanding what those variables mean and what they don't mean. And, and of course, we've just finished up at the Centennial Census and even the ongoing American community surveys that have estimates. Each geography has an estimate, which is the one number we're interested in, but they also have error ranges, right? Plus or minus X number of people. And those vary across space in terms of the confidence of those estimates. Mm -hmm. So in our in our rush to you know make maps with the one correct number, we can't lose sight of understanding what those numbers really mean and what they don't mean, especially when we're projecting into the future with mm -hmm. some kind of estimate and understanding the statistical uh, error ranges associated with them. So that's just my one little accessibility means a wrong interpretation of the data is never has never been easier, right? So mm -hmm. that's that's the 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 sharp edge uh, of of getting all that easy access. Mm -hmm. We'll have to tie that back into our gotcha. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, yeah. and I remember when Google Earth came out, and the latitude and longitude have like nine decimal places. Mike, that's like the top of my head, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no data you're looking at in Google Earth that is accurate enough 
to eight or nine decimal places. So that just gives you a false sense of the accuracy of what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, all right, I got to get off my soapbox here because people want to eat lunch. <laughs> uh, great, great point, Brian. Um, yeah, great conversation, guys. This was yes. awesome. So I know, Mike, we've been working on um, discussing uh, like a geospatial kind of prove it. You know, this mm -hmm. is great data mines, these prove it concepts. Can you tell everybody just kind of as a final call to action about our geospatial prove it? Yeah, so for anybody that's interested, I mean, if you want to dip your toe into trying out some of these things that you've been hearing Matt and Brian talk about, we, we offer a, a vehicle to prove out the uh, uh, technologies, prove out capabilities, um, and we can do it in our lab, in the Great Data Mines Innovation Lab. We can bring the requisite data into the lab. We can en enable connectivity to the lab. Um, Via your tools of choice. Um, and the way we go about doing it is first you do a very abbreviated discovery and, and planning session to identify some, some of the more top of mind location-based use cases that you want to try out. Right? And then zero down and pick one as a minimum viable product that we can test out. We can test out the technologies, the usability, the feasibility, viability of the solution for you. Um, and then if, if you are liking what you see, we can continue to build an incremental product delivery roadmap where location is being embedded into existing analytics for, for a different ability to um, you know to give you a whole new set of dimensions of analysis that you didn't have before um, so if you're interested in something like that please reach out to us at info uh, at greatdataminds.com and we'll be happy to um, start the next level of conversation and get my two fine colleagues together with myself to help you flush out those use cases yep. great all right. Well, we that's that's the that's just about at the time we're committed to getting everybody out on time for their next meeting. So thank you so much, Matt and Brian and Mike, and for the chat that has been completely lit up the whole time. Um, this has been a fantastic session. So I really appreciate it. We've been recording the whole time. We're going to share it back. You'll see it on social, and usually we'll do some sort of a follow up email that might provide some more resources or answer any one of the uh, last questions that we didn't have a chance to get to. So thank you All so right, much. Thanks, Jeff. guys. It's been a it's been an enjoyable conversation. Gentlemen, I love it. Always enjoy my dialogues with you guys. <laughs> All right. Take care, Mike. Bye, everybody. All right. All right. Bye bye, everyone. Bye bye.